Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Packs What She Said podcast. If you are listening to us on Thursday, happy New Year's Eve. We're almost done with 2020. And if you're listening to this on Friday, happy New Year. Welcome to 2021. Thank you for starting your brand new year with us at the Packs What She Said podcast. So I am... Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein, and we have kind of a, a little bit of a different show, I guess, just because we already did the the Packers Bears breakdown once. So we'll talk about what's changed, some playoff implications, and then we have some regular season awards, quote unquote, to give out uh, for this Packers team. So Perry, how you doing going into Week Seventeen? Uh, I feel good. I don't like how much is riding on this game. I definitely wish it was a little bit more of a I don't know, less stressful um, last week of the season. You know, Packers were locked in somehow wherever they were and maybe they could rest their starters. But at the same time, it's a very simple thing that they need to do, which is just go into Soldier Field, beat the Bears, get the one seed, get a bye. So all they need to do is win, baby. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew Mertig and I had talked about this on Pack a Day earlier in the week, and he said he's less concerned about going into Soldier Field and losing than he is about the actual field of Soldier Field. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood, there's no injuries or anything. And, you know, we'll see kind of what the game looks like. But I don't remember who had it. I just saw it on Twitter. Uh, the Packers are 5-0 and against the Bears in the final week of the season um, in the five times that they've played. So, so far, so good. You know, looking at some of these stats, we've got an MVP with the Packers. So kind of yeah. then going off of that, what's different to you about this game or what's something that maybe we didn't see in week 12 that you expect to see in week 17? Well, I was just going to say first that um, Aaron Rodgers said this week on the Pat McAfee show that he actually loves going to Soldier Field. That's one of his favorite places to play. I was expecting him to say Dallas first. But yeah. He said 
Soldier Field. Um, so that always bodes well. I think that there's a, a certain level of home field advantage that this doesn't allow Chicago, similar to Green Bay. Like they're one of the few teams that plays outdoors in the cold, um, being probably just like the Bills and the Pats at this point are, are the ones that are used to this kind of weather. So um, it'll be kind of just like playing at Lambeau. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be fans at Soldier Field. I'm imagining there won't be. And if there are, it'll only be a handful. So should just be a pretty neutral situation, except like you said, if the field is in poor condition, which sometimes this time of year it is. Um, the game is definitely different. I think the biggest difference from the last time they played is they're going to have Akeem Hicks back. Um, and he is that kind of game tilter. Their front is completely different when Akeem Hicks is in the game. Uh, their offense looks better. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. They've scored 30 plus in their last four weeks. Uh, with Mitch Trubisky in there, David Montgomery is running the ball really well. And those are the two biggest ones in my eyes. I personally think that like, no matter how well the bears are playing, like this feels like their ceiling. Uh, I think we know who Mitch Trubisky is. We know what he can do. He's playing his best football right now, which is wonderful for him. And I'm glad that he is, was able to, come back after being benched and and prove to his team that he can lead them again, just from like a pure personal standpoint, that's really nice to see. Uh, but I just think that there isn't, we're not going to, there's no more that this bears offense has to offer. Uh, so with that, plus a very common opponent, like the Packers who know who they are and how they play and how to impact Mitch Trubisky in a way that will force turnovers or force three and outs. I, I think bodes better for the Packers than for the Bears new quote resurgent offense yeah I really like the way you put that having a ceiling I think that that's exactly what this is and you know they played the Jaguars like there there weren't a ton of teams where it was like oh wow Chicago's actually beating up on some really tough opponents so you know obviously it's hard to win in this league and we've seen teams struggle against lesser opponents like the chiefs Packers against the Panthers, whatever. But, you know, I just don't think that this is a bears team. That's even if they were to squeak into the playoffs, I don't think it's a team necessarily set up for a successful playoff run. And I think Akeem Hicks is probably the biggest thing going for this, this bears defense. And kind of on the flip side of that, we talked about this a little bit pre-show AJ Dillon against Akeem Hicks might be, the most fun matchup if it ever were to happen. You know, we saw AJ Dillon on his uh, goal line touchdown, just completely bowl over a nose tackle. And that doesn't happen in the NFL. Like Matt LaFleur had said it like to, to knock over a defensive tackle of that size and get a touchdown is exceptional. And I'm not saying I think it's going to happen against Akeem Hicks necessarily, but just that matchup you had said, I think in week 12, that there would be an Akeem Hicks sized hole in the middle of the defense. And you know, let's see what, what this run game can do against a gap that's actually plugged by Akeem Hicks. Yeah. And I think that like he does make a difference, but again, the Packers put drop 40 on this team. Akeem Hicks doesn't save them 40 points, right? Maybe it's a right. closer game, but this offense is, is good. And uh, I don't think that necessarily that would have happened if Akeem Hicks has been in there, right? Like the Titans defense is nowhere near as strong uh, or stout as as the bears defense is, but I think there is some neutralization in this game with both teams having something to play for. Uh, if the bears lose, they don't make the playoffs. If the bears win, 
they make the playoffs. It's as simple as that. So they're going to, you know, to, to also take away the one seed from a division rival that has just stomped on them for so many years uh, would probably feel really good. I just feel like they're going to come into this game really, really juiced up. Uh, but also the Packers should be juiced up as well. They're fighting for the one seed. They can taste home field advantage all through the playoffs. Uh, We've talked about it a ton. Aaron Rodgers has never had an NFC championship game. He's played in four and not a single one of them have ever been at Lambeau. Um, And that would just mean, I think so much after such a a special season. Um, But I think that this Packers offense is it if at all possible at its like peak right now, or it's still peaking. I'm not sure, but the Packers offense just looks incredibly unstoppable to the point where I don't really foresee much being able to stop them. Right. Like let's say the front is, is stopping the run. Okay. Well we've got Devonte Adams and Alan Lazard and EQ and MVS and B- big Bob Tunyon and their secondary to me doesn't scream anything wild. And sure, I think maybe Eddie Jackson is playing well. And Aaron Rodgers has said that he thinks that they have two of the best, you know, inside linebackers in the league. But this offense has gone up against some great defenses prior as well. And this defense, even without Akeem Hicks, was still good and dropped 40. So um, I think the offense keeps rolling right to the one seed. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, it was for the final of week 12 was 41-25, but that game was over in the third quarter. It was 41-10 and then 15 garbage time points. And I think kind of what we're seeing from this Packers team is, is that they can win in different ways. And I think we saw that on Sunday night against the Titans. Even when we kind of rolled into garbage time, the Packers defense didn't let up. And, you know, I know that some of the narrative on Twitter, as exciting as it was, was, What's going to happen when the Packers play a really good offense on equal footing? Maybe that is, you know, in Tampa and the Super Bowl. And the whole point is it's not going to matter until the Super Bowl, right? Like if this is your home field advantage and this is what you're playing for, if you are a Packers team that knows that you have this awesome advantage of playing in weather and you can kind of take teams out of their element and dominate in all three facets of the game, of course you're going to do that. Of course you want that advantage. And, you know, the defense didn't let up on Sunday night, which I think was something that we haven't really seen from them as much. So I think if the Packers offense in any stretch, which, you know, you said it, I don't see that happening either, does struggle. You still have a defense now that is absolutely ascending and can keep the Packers in this game. But I I don't see many offenses that this Packers yeah. team is going to struggle against to put up like score for score. Right. Uh, And I'm glad you brought up the defense because I think if we're going towards like what are the biggest differences from the last time that the Packers played the Bears is the defense. The the defense, like you mentioned, right, the, the game was essentially over, but they allowed the Bears to come back with some garbage time points. We've seen that a good amount. Packers defense has not been doing that at least the last two, three weeks. Right. They've they have kind of shut teams down, especially I think the game against the Titans really showed that they can actually play a full four quarters of football and not give up those garbage time points, not keep teams in, not keep teams close. And they did it, like you said, against a very, very good offense. The Bears offense is nowhere near the Titans offense. And I don't think it has the capabilities to be anywhere near the Titans offense. So if the Packers defense can play the way they did on Sunday night against a Bears offense, who kept the Titans to 14 points. Um, I just don't foresee this being close. Now, of course, 
with the Packers defense, you never know what's going to happen or who's going to show up. Are they going to be asleep or awake when the game starts? I'm not sure, but like there is a very good chance that they can force the bears into a place where they just can't get into rhythm and they can't get rolling. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I think you and I both are kind of subscribed to the uh, cautiously optimistic mindset as Packers fans and people that appreciate and study the game really closely because, you know, as a fan, you want to be excited about what your team can do, but it's really hard on paper to not get excited thinking about kind of what's in front of this team. And they always chunk their goals. And the first goal is always win the North. And then you want to look at potentially being the number one seed. And then you talk playoffs and Super Bowl and all that good stuff. But it just feels like this team is so cohesive and it feels like for the first time since maybe, I don't know, 2014, that this is a Packers team that is capable of sustained success going all the way. They're playing football like their best football at a really good time. And I think that this might be the closest that this team has felt to actually having all their goals in front of them. And, you know, we talked about what last season was like, and yes, 13 and three was a magical thing for Matt LaFleur in his first year as a head coach, you know, but even in the NFC championship game, you you never want to say it's not going to happen, but it didn't feel as realistic to think that this yeah. was a team kind of poised for long-term success and everything we've seen from this team so far in 2020 with the, the learning second year of a scheme, the ascending of the defense, like there's just so many things to be excited about. And for the first time to have Aaron Rodgers potentially hosting an NFC championship game at Lambeau field, all of those things that kind of felt like pipe dreams feel kind of real. And I think that that's exactly what's going to be on the players' minds on Sunday is that they are so close to pretty much everything that they've wanted for as long yeah. as they've been playing. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think about this too, in terms of like, there's sort of two camps to me in, in the, in the locker room, there's the young guys, right? Like our, recent rookie class or up to like sort of the Jair Kevin King era where they kind of had a rocky start to their NFL careers, right? Like the Packers missed the playoffs two years in a row. Then we get back last year. Some of them are playing in their first playoff games ever. And that's in and of itself, like dealing with those feelings, that adrenaline, et cetera. And then you have the vets like Rogers and Devante and David Bakhtiari and Mercedes Lewis and, I shouldn't include Mercedes Lewis because he played for Jacksonville. And so I don't think he made the playoffs very often there, but I'm <laughs> saying more the Packers vets who have experienced either. Well, there's only two left from the Super Bowl team, Mason Crosby and Aaron Rodgers, but you know, they experienced 2014 and they experienced 2016 and they know what that, that loss feels like. Um, and some of them got it last season, right? Losing it to the 49ers. But I think that there, once you experience that, they, I think the stakes become higher because you know what it feels like to be so close and to taste it and then to have it be taken away. And there's something to me about that level of experience for the entire team now that should give them all like the same level of motivation. Like they remember what leaving San Francisco felt like last season. And I think that they're a better team this year. And I think they know that they're a better team and they know they can go. This team can go win a Super Bowl. If the defense plays like it did on Sunday night, like this team can play in a Super Bowl. And I just want to add before we potentially talk about some playoff implications is that I feel like the way that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are playing right now, like they could go win a playoff game by themselves. And I know that this is a team sport and that's not how that works, but just the, the level 
of play, the eliteness, the how locked in they are. Like, I just feel like this connection could, you know how we always say like Rogers used to go all Superman and win games by himself. Well, now if Aaron Rodgers goes all Superman, he's got a, a second one right next to him in Devonte Adams who can go and be his own Superman. So, um, yeah, just feels different. And I feel like they all understand like what this game means. Yeah. And I think we talked about that a little bit on happy hour too, where the, the most exceptional part of the defense and the scheme and what we've seen from Matt LaFleur is that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be Superman. And he is right now because he's been set up for success and the pieces he has around him and the way that Matt LaFleur kind of schemes guys open and what he can set up in the running game or the passing game. Like it's just really exciting that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is so used to putting the game on his shoulders and hoping that he can do enough. And now he's just put in such a position to be successful that we're seeing, I mean, he's going to win the MVP. I feel like we can kind of confirm that at this point. It just feels like there's nobody else even in contention anymore. And, you know, with Pat Mahomes sitting in week 17, Aaron Rodgers is just going to run away with it with the numbers that he historically puts up at Soldier Field and against the Bears. So it's just kind of fun to see him having the success that he's having, knowing that he doesn't have to be the guy. He's just good enough to be that guy. I like that. Okay, so what's going to happen this weekend when there, there's two scenarios? Well, there's two scenarios. One is the Packers lose and the Bears win and the Bears make the playoffs. That's the only way the Bears make the playoffs is if they beat the Packers. Um, the first, the best scenario, obviously, and the most simple is that the Packers win, they lock in the one seed, and that's it. They get home field advantage. So that's what we hope happens, of course. But if the first scenario happens and the Packers do lose, there actually is a lot of implications for other teams. Um, and it leaves them open to even potentially dropping to the three seed, which to me would be insane uh, to think about them being the three seed. But essentially, if the Packers lose, um, the Saints and the Seahawks both have a chance to get the top seed. Now, if the Saints win and the Seahawks win, um, then the Saints become the the one seed and the Seahawks become the two seed and the Packers drop to the three seed. If the Saints win and the Seahawks lose, then the Packers are the two seed. If the, C- the Saints lose and the Packers lose and the Seahawks win, um, then the Seahawks actually have the chance to become the one seed, which I don't know about you is my nightmare scenario. <laughs> Um, but I, that feels a little far-fetched because, you know, the Saints are playing the Panthers and, um, they are also fighting for playoff spots and home field advantage. Um, the Seahawks play the 49ers who are already eliminated. So uh, it feels like either of those scenarios are unlikely, but possible. Um, the rest of the NFC is interesting, right? Washington locks up the four seed if, Uh, They beat the Eagles this weekend. Um, I think the Cowboys and the Giants both have a slim chance of taking that spot if Washington loses and a bunch of other things happen. Um, Buccaneers have locked in a wild card spot. They're either going to be the fifth or the sixth seed, but likely if the Bucs beat the Falcons this weekend, which it sounds like they will since the Falcons are already eliminated, um, they will lock up the fifth seed. The sixth and seventh seed are confusing, so uh, bear with Maggie and I. But essentially, if the Packers lose, the Bears clinch the seventh spot, the, the our new third wild card um, at eight and eight. 
which feels like a cop-out. Um, the sixth seed is the one that gets tricky. So it's Rams versus Cardinals this weekend. Whoever wins that game gets this spot. Uh, now, if the Bears lose, it's kind of unclear who gets that seventh seed. Uh, it could be whoever loses the Rams-Cardinals game. Um, it could be potentially the Cowboys, depending on what happens uh with the Washington game. So there's, there's a few scenarios, but basically what the point is here is that the best case scenario is the Packers win. They get the one seed, they get the buy done. Um, Depending on what happens with the Saints Seahawks, the Packers could be the two seed and then be hosting the bears for the wild card round at Lambeau the following weekend. Yeah. And that is something that we absolutely, absolutely don't want to happen. Um, I think realistically what's likely to happen. And, you know, I think that you would agree is, you know, we'll see the bucks clinch the fifth seed. Um, The Rams and Cardinals game gets really interesting because Jared Goff likely is not able to play, or if he does play, he's kind of dealing with that thumb injury, but I thought he was already ruled out. He's not, he's not, he's not playing. Okay. Kyler is potentially going to play, but he has a lower leg injury. And so they, they haven't announced if he's going to play or not. Yeah, so that game gets super interesting with the Rams and the Cardinals because either you win and your team is really beat up. I mean, I don't think Jared Goff bounces back from thumb surgery if, or, you know, he's not getting the surgery just yet, but it's not he something did. He, he got the surgery. Did he? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have thumb surgery and then maybe you come back next week. It just doesn't seem very feasible for the Rams. And then you have the Cardinals with Kyler Murray's got a quad injury, which those, especially as the kind of mobile quarterback that Kyler Murray is, so we could see the bears in six or seven. We could see the Packers in one, two or three. Um, so there's a lot at stake here, but I think, I think, you know, the, the moral of the story for the green Bay team is just, just beat the bears. And I guess then, you know, regardless of the one seed, if they fall to two or three, looking at the playoff picture, what are your thoughts on maybe your ideal matchup, regardless of seeding, whoever gets to the Packers, let's say in the divisional round, um, like what would be your ideal path to the Super Bowl? Some teams that you'd be the most okay with or the teams maybe that you would have the most hesitation to see come to Green Bay? Um, I don't really have a, a path that I think is like good or bad, to be honest. Like the the Packers being home feels to me like it doesn't really matter who's going to come in. The Packers are going to beat them. I'd prefer not to play the Seahawks. (laughs) Their offense is so explosive to me. It feels like a game. I don't know if it's, if it's PTSD or just that I have a lot of respect for Russell Wilson. I think they're well coached. Their defense has been playing better than the first half of the season. So they, to me feel like the worst case scenario, but also the Packers tend to play them well at home. It's one of those where they like sort of win or lose depending on who's home with the Seahawks. Um, I think the saints coming up to Lambeau would be wonderful because I cannot imagine drew Brees throwing the ball in the cold weather. Um, I actually fear the Washington football team's front. Like that would be almost another like worst case scenario team. I think that we, the Packers could of course stop their offense. Um, But that front seven definitely throws some shivers down my spine. Um, The rest of the teams, like I said, if the Packers are home hosting the saints, the Rams, the bucks, 
none of those um, particularly make me fear anything given the home field advantage of being cold. I think having the Bears come up again could be a tough matchup. I wouldn't enjoy that if the Packers are the two seed. There's, you know, the rivalry, the play spoiler. They can play in the cold. That's not an advantage against us. Um, so I think my my best case scenario is Packers get the one seed and then everyone else you know, you get a warm weather team up there for the divisional round. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you said it best where Lambeau field kind of is the tiebreaker in a lot of these situations. You know, you're, if you're talking about a team that plays in the Superdome with some turf, having to come up in a potential snowstorm, that's going to make a difference. Um, I think one of the interesting paths would be Tom Brady and the Bucks coming up to Lambeau for the division ra- the divisional round and you know that potentially will happen that seems like at this moment in time the most likely yeah. option kind of given you know that they're playing the Washington football team but you know we talked about this pre-show I would really li- I think that game's going to be fantastic you know I, I don't know about the Washington offense but it really feels like that front seven could give Tom Brady and that O-line fits so I think there's just there's really exciting matchups to watch. I liked um, the Washington football team when they were matched up against Seattle, too, um, as one of the playoff pictures before you know Seattle took back over the NFC West. So I think that we're going to see a lot of really good football games. And that's kind of why I love the playoffs, because, you know, this is when everybody's playing their best football and every game has such high stakes. And, you know, kind of looking at the playoff picture, though, for the the NFC, it really does feel like it's going to come down to the top three seeds. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the Bucks, but it, yeah. the, the wild card picture this year is just not as, I think the AFC is a lot more interesting. I'll say that. I agree with you. Um, I think that especially like, let's say the Rams do sneak in their quarterback had just had thumb surgery, you know, or there, there's a lot of things that, that could go wrong. Um, I love the playoffs because everything just resets. Like yep. what happened in the, in the regular season just kind of doesn't matter anymore. Like we've seen a Packers wild card run the table to the Super Bowl. I don't think anyone expected them to win in 2010 um, because everything just resets. And so it's, it's really just like may the best man win. Um, but hopefully the Packers are the one seed and they ride themselves straight to the Super Bowl by beating everyone that tries to come their way up in snowy Wisconsin. So speaking of kind of we're shifting gears right to the postseason, but I think it's a worth a look back to the regular season uh, because this team and this season, I know there's a one game left, but was was really special. And we saw a lot of players have not just Aaron Rodgers, but a ton of Packers players have either breakout or star performances this season. And so I think it's worth kind of diving into a few awards really quickly that we thought of. So um, wondering for you, Maggie, who is your regular season offensive player of the year for the Packers? Um, So I'm going to exclude the MVP because that feels like absolutely cheating. And he is for sure the MVP. Um, I kind of want to exclude Devontae Adams too. You know, I, you can talk about him. Absolutely. But I'm going to exclude him because I think that he, I mean, he's on a historic pace right now. He's setting career records almost every game he plays. So I'm going to say, because it was, you know, something that I wasn't necessarily expecting 
Big Bob Tunyon is my offensive player of the year. And it's not even necessarily his touchdown numbers as much as even on Sunday night football against the Titans, he had one catch, but he's always impactful. And he seems like he's always getting first downs and he's always open when Aaron Rodgers needs him to be open. It kind of felt like Alan Lazard last season where he became one of those security blankets in the offense. And I think that's, what's made this offense so exciting is that when Devonte Adams is hot, look out because he's Devonte Adams. But when Devonte Adams is getting triple, triple coverage and he's not as available, then you have so many weapons in the offense that can make splash plays. And we've seen a lot of those from Robert Tunyon so far this season. So I hope he gets a touchdown or two on Sunday in Chicago to take the franchise record over, but you know, we'll see what happens there. That's a good one. I was, um, I was, he was on my list. I'm not going to talk about, um, I'm not going to talk about Devante because I think it's too <laughs> obvious. Um, I'm actually going to talk about um, Elton Jenkins. Because he was I my think- other pick. So I love that. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he deserves uh, a shout out because for a number of reasons. First being, right, he's a second year guy. He, by all accounts, is one of the best offensive. Like He, he, he was on the rookies of the year last season for the entire NFL. I think was very somewhat overlooked, right? Because he played on a line with Brian Bulaga and David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, et cetera. And then this year, you know, we lose Bulaga, Corey Lindsley battles an injury. Uh, pretty much everyone on the line besides David Bakhtiari battles an injury throughout the season. And Elton Jenkins, Jenkins ends up playing all five positions on the offensive line. And, I think it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, sure, you can slide them all around. No. I mean, it's it's so unbelievably impressive. I, I don't actually have the, like, proper words to describe how impressive it is to take snaps at all five positions and allow, like, less than five pressures over the course of the season. He's allowed one sack the entire season. That's across all five positions. Um, and he's played a hundred percent of snaps every single game. Um, only five penalties, which is actually tied for eighth in the league. Um, feels like it should be higher than that. And just, yeah, just, just so incredible, incredibly impressive to me to not just be, he's not a vet, you know, it's not like Mm -hmm. he's been in the league forever and has played every, every position because he's had to over the course of his years, this is his second season and he played all five positions and took almost a thousand offensive snaps and has never missed, missed a game. So shout out to Elton Jenkins because I don't really know what the Packers offensive line would be without you. Yeah. I think one of my favorite stories was from Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show where um, Elton makes the pro bowl and now he's no longer Elgie. He does not want anybody to call him Elgie. It is Elton um, now that he is officially a pro bowler. So because I went first for offense, I don't want to take your guy a second time. So I will let you go first for your defensive player of the year. And I, I feel like I maybe know what it is, but I also feel like I have a change up if you go the other way. Well, I I think that if we're going to exclude Devonta Adams, then we have to exclude Jair. Okay. Because okay. that's only fair. Um, yeah, mine's Adrian Amos. Um, I think that he is one of the best free agent signings that the Packers have acquired in a while. I mean, think about who our safeties were just even two seasons ago, three seasons ago with like Kentrell Bryce, like (laughs) Clinton Dix, like the upgrade, the upgrade to him and Darnell Savage is unprecedented. Um, But Adrian is 
he's just solid. I don't know how else to describe him. He plays every game. He plays almost every snap. He's had an interception, uh, eight passes defensed, a fumble recovery, two sacks. Like he's, he's all over the place. He's always where he needs to be. He is reliable, steady, and I'm just so glad that the Packers brought him in last season uh, as a free agent because I think that he's like really transformed this secondary into something that is so solid and so impenetrable between him and Darnell's ascension and Jair locking down half the side of the field. Like you can't even pass against the Packers and it's beautiful. So this is why I love doing this show, right? Because Adrian Amos was also my guy, but the best part about this Packers secondary is that there's another really good safety. So I'm going to talk about Darnell Savage. And, you know, I know that it's been more of a second half transformation, but just the numbers that he's put up, the, even in the month of December, he is doing exactly what you want from this, this Packers defense. And I feel like there's other guys who are worthy of really high praise, like Rashawn Gary, I think just kind of missed the list, but, Darnell Savage leads the team in interceptions. He has four. Um, He is tied with Jair Alexander for the most passes defensed on the team with 12, which is kind of surprising, but also exceptionally impressive. Um, And he's just, he's doing everything that the Packers defense needs him to do. Um, He's, he's played more of a rover rover role. They've dropped him in as free safety. And I think that he's just made such an impact on his half of the field. And I love the fact that you also mentioned Adrian Amos because going into the season, we talked about what the secondary could be and that it could be one of the strengths of the team, but you have Jair owning his own Island and operating his own Island where he doesn't get too many visitors. And then you have two safeties who are playing probably their best football to date um, at a really good time. So Jacob Westendorf had said it on pack a day, but even if you get like pretty good Kevin King or like, okay, Kevin King, that's a really, really good secondary. And if you happen to get good or great Kevin King in any given Sunday, it's it's becoming a shutdown defense um, in the secondary. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love to talk about them for, for <laughs> forever. So I'm glad that we gave them the credit where credit is due. Okay, so for the next award, which is our biggest surprise of the season, who do you have in mind? I don't know if this is going to be like a surprising pick, but I'm actually going to go with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And just because, you know, I think we saw him struggle with drops a little bit in the beginning of the season, but he's always been consistent enough. And we had talked about kind of what this offense needs and did they need a wide receiver and look at all the pieces they have and all the weapons that they have and guys that can do multiple things. And I think that he's just been a really nice role player And we've talked about this on the show before on happy hour, uh, wherever you listen to us talk about the Packers, Um, just the idea that role player doesn't have a negative connotation in green Bay. Like it might elsewhere. Matt LaFleur has said it, Aaron Rodgers has said it. And I think MBS is kind of the true epitome of a role player for green Bay, where there's weeks like last week where he doesn't have a catch. Um, But then you see him run blocking his butt off and he's making impacts in a way that don't necessarily affect the stat sheet. So He's my guy. He has over 500 yards on the season. He's put together some really nice performances for the Packers when they didn't have other wide receivers available. Alan Lazard obviously missed some games. So I think he's been reliable enough, uh, making some really important 
plays and key moments, especially, you know, like against the Colts, that he's deserving of the Pleasant Surprise Award for the Packers. <laughs> That's a good one. He was actually who I was going to do on offense. But um, luckily, I have another player who is on the defensive side who honestly, like, truly, truly has been a surprise. And it's Chris Barnes, undrafted free agent out of UCLA. No, not a name that anybody was talking about in the off season. I mean, wasn't even drafted. And then all of a sudden you see him out there starting at inside linebacker um, this season. And he's looked great. He's had 66 tackles, a sack, a forced fumble. I feel like he's always in the backfield. And then you see, you know, Christian Kirksey go down with an injury and who gets the helmet? Chris Barnes. I mean, to, to have a rookie put on the green dot and be able to direct from the coaches to the team on the field, you know, what the play calls are going to be, what the fronts are going to look like, what the scheme is, is just so impressive to me. And that's a level of football IQ that you usually expect out of a vet, right? Like this is why we brought in a guy like Christian Kirksey was so that, cause he has that experience and yet they're giving it to a young undrafted guy like Chris Barnes. So He's been really impactful. I think you see, you know, you see his, you know, number 51 out there um, making plays all the time. And I, uh, I think the Packers haven't had a really, you know, athletic inside linebacker tandem in a while. And I think him and Kamal Martin are really exciting for the future. Yeah, and I think that's a good opportunity, too, to give Mike Patton his due because, you know, we have been on this show for a very long time talking about the three-man rush, which has ceased to exist almost in the month of December. And Christian Kirksey said after the Titans game, Mike Patton put them in a really good position to be successful. And I think part of that was taking him from the Mike linebacker role, giving that to Chris Barnes, and then giving Christian Kirksey and Kamal Martin rotating opportunities to be successful. I thought on Sunday night, Christian Kirksey played his best game as a Packer. And I think a lot of that was due to the way that this defense has kind of adjusted its scheme to fit its players. So I guess then last, last award, whatever we want to call it, um, a Packer player that is ascending for you at the right time heading into the playoffs. I'm about to steal yours, so I'm sorry, but it's got to be A.J. Dillon. That's not um, what I'm going to pick, so you're okay. Okay, sweet. I mean, it has to be, right? Like, A.J. Dillon gets, finally gets his more than two or three touches in a game against the Titans. He goes for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about, like, what that says about a player, you know, to wait and wait and wait and wait behind two wonderful players like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams to learn to get COVID, to come back from COVID, to train and and get your body right again after potentially what sounded like he actually battled through the the virus a little bit based off of the way that Matt LaFleur has described it. And then his number is called when Jamal is out and Aaron Jones goes down with an injury and comes out with just like an unbelievable breakout performance. He didn't need to have the game that he did, right? Like he, he, he could have had half those yards and the Packers still would have won, but he just went completely above, above and beyond. And I hope that now, you know, moving forward, uh, he gets more touches for from Matt LaFleur because he can see what he can do for the playoffs. You know, I, I saw this morning, PFF said that the most missed tackles forced on rushing attempts in a single game is 
AJ Dillon with nine against the Titans in week week 16. That's in Packers history. Uh, So that just says what kind of game he had uh, against the Titans. And this is exactly why we drafted him. Snowy games, December, January, February. Um, Mm -hmm. When, when you need a a big bulldozing back, I, I think he's so much more than that. Also, you know, he, you could see him getting, you know, seeing the field, finding the holes, jump cuts, breaking tackles. Uh, he's so much more than just like a bruiser. And that to me is really exciting because, um, no matter what happens with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams this off season, like we know that we're going to have AJ Dillon next year. Yeah. And I, I love that. I also, I don't know that he has so many nicknames on Twitter. There's quadzilla. Um, I really like, uh, the snowplow. I think that's an adorable nickname for a player that plays in Lambeau field. But I think the best part, like you said, is he's got fresh legs. And if the playoff path for the NFC is going to run through Lambeau Field, so is AJ Dillon. And I, I love that. But I'm I'm gonna flip it to defense. I'm gonna talk about somebody that I basically said a couple minutes ago just missed out on my defensive player of the year award, and that is Rashawn Gary. I think that, you know, if you looked at his performance against the Titans, he in the role that he plays was not necessarily designed to be the guy to bring down Derrick Henry, but he was always where Derrick Henry was. He had some really nice open field tackles. It felt like he was almost always the first guy to the ball, regardless of who had the ball. You and I talked about this on happy hour. There was a stunt that Rashawn and Z ran um, where Zadarius ended up getting the sack, but it kind of looked like it was designed for Rashawn and Z just got there first because he slipped his defender. Um, Rashawn Gary is second on the team in sacks second on the team in quarterback hits, um, despite not starting. Um, And I think, you know, there's kind of a tandem here, and Preston Smith is also ascending at the right time. I think that that front seven as a whole has played a lot better the last couple weeks, given kind of the way that we've seen Mike Pettin scheme his guys open and put them in a position to be successful uh, rushing the passer. But, yeah, Rashawn Gary scares me, and I I love that. I think he's going to make such an impact for this defense. So before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you now, because we talked about Rashawn Geary, we're talking about the front seven. The Packers have signed Snacks Harrison, um, claimed him off waivers, and I doubt he'll play Sunday, um, but he could have two games in Green Bay and then the chance to go to a Super Bowl. And if there's one thing that Snacks is very, very good at, it's stuffing the run. He's never really been a guy to get after the quarterback, but that's why you have Kenny Clark and Z and Preston and Rashawn. And I just think that he is potentially a really, really good piece. And he had said on Twitter that he was finally starting to feel his legs and he was about to get scary and then Seattle let him go. So I just, I just want your thoughts on snacks in this front seven. Well, okay. So my first thought is that he actually has to get released from the Seahawks they didn't just drop him. So I'm more wondering like what his mentality is because I think there's something to be said for like this team has battled together throughout the whole season. And now they're going into like a very, very pivotal period where they could potentially make a playoff run. Uh, I mean, sorry, a Super Bowl run. And so like, I want to, my thought honestly on the snacks signing is like, is snacks in the same mental state as the rest of the Packers defense and team? Like, is he really ready to get in there and like beat the best teams in the league and go to the Super Bowl? Um, I don't know. He hasn't played really this season and I don't know what his motivation is. I don't know if he really wants to play that. That's my biggest question. Um, put that aside. Obviously he's someone the Packers fandom at least has wanted the Packers to sign all season. So I hope that they're all happy. 
Um, I think the Packers have been stopping the run pretty well the last few weeks. Uh, would it be better to have a guy like Snacks out there when, if we inevitably play like an Alvin Kamara? Yeah, sure. I think Snacks brings all of the vet presence and skill needed there. But I also think that we have the pieces because we've gotten to this point without him, right? So I don't know what his motivation is. I don't know what his mental state is like. But if he's ready to go out and win a Super Bowl, then by all means, put him in there. Yeah, I think uh, it might have been Peter Bukowski, but somebody had said that I think he played between like 20%, 35% of snaps in a couple games. Um, he was a healthy scratch in, in some games as well. So I do think that's a good point. And, you know, I think depending on which team had claimed him on waivers, there might have been some holdout there. But he did say that there was a short list of teams that he was interested in still playing for. Sounded like Green Bay was one of those teams. Kenny Clark has already welcomed him to the Frozen Tundra on Twitter. So I hope that this is just a really impactful opportunity for him and for the Packers defense and that everybody kind of bands together. But I do agree with you that there are some question marks there. And the question marks, unfortunately, probably won't be addressed until we see the Packers in the divisional round of the playoffs at Lambeau Field. Right. That's me projecting, you know, into the future that we want. Right. Okay, this was fun. Um, Loved these awards. I hope you all enjoyed them, too. Let us know what you think on Twitter. We always love the feedback. Um, A good rate and review is always nice as well on Apple, Spotify. Um, We're hoping that somebody out there hears this and knows how much beer we drink and sponsors us uh, to... give some ad reads for their beer and also drink it on our show because we do that all the time, except not today because it's the morning time and we don't drink beer before noon. Unless we're at Lambeau Field. Unless it's game day. (laughs) Um, Okay. Now we're rambling. Okay. Um, Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. All of my content is there on Twitter and you can follow Maggie at Maggie J Loney on Twitter and all her wonderful content can be found there. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at PWSS podcast on Instagram at PAX, what she said. Uh, we post some video and audio snippets on the, on Instagram. So you can follow us there and uh, as always go pack. Go go pack. Go. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down.